So, John, why aren't you Blair Witching the podcast? <laughs> because I watched... Facing in the corner like a bad boy? Because I watched you use the same kind of filter for almost two years, and I did not want to look like Mr. Wilson. Okay. I didn't want to I be mean, peering over a, a reflection. Uh, that it's a professional, glorious pop filter made out of metal and the dashed dreams of other artists. And I think you would appreciate the artisanship. I'm not going to use a pop filter on this mic until Michael can tell me the difference between sibilance and breathing. I can, oh. I can, for you, I can tell the difference between breathing. Considering that he thinks that most of your feed sounds like Albus with a head cold. Oh no. Joke's on you. It is that. Oh, I see. <laughs> I, I am so just it. a. I'm just a meat puppet that Albus uses. <laughs> ah, I see. So Albus is the one with all the Lord of the Rings references. Yeah, actually. Yeah. All comes together. Can we also talk about the fact that John broke the color scheme tonight, so I'm very upset. What are you talking about? I'm wearing red. <laughs> it's an accent red. We're all wearing red things. I will go next door <laughs> and change into a maroon shirt. I'll do you it. Got do the you want memo. me to do it? You got the memo. Do you want me to do it? I mean, I never want you to do it. <laughs> I'll go do it right now on air. I don't care. <laughs> I'll fucking do it right on air. Yeah, I'll Gain take my clothes off right now on air. I swear to God, I'll do it. <laughs> Michael, if you thought you could hear me breathe before, motherfucker, get ready. <laughs> <laughs> And speaking of excessive mouth noises, by the eternal, <laughs> behold, behold. Uh, it's the Disinformed Podcast. I'm Shane. I'm John. I'm Michael. I'm Courtney. And can I also mention we have had a lot of very delighted listeners that uh, by the eternal has returned. Did I not? Did I mention that last week? Uh-uh. I don't I think you did. Okay. No, I'm. We have had some very delighted folks that that intro is yes. back. So I think that is that is the permanent intro. It just needs to stay. I can dig it. Mm-hmm. And you will dig it. And push it. Yeah. You to the it. limit? Yeah. Real, Real good. good. Push it. Yeah. <laughs> I still refuse to treat that like static X. I'm not uh, I'm not gonna justify that. Dewan would be happier if you did. I'll go I'll go salt and pepper instead. I, did I ever I mention know. that I found out that Dewan is a closeted static X fan? Like Oh, so I get to call him Wayne from this point forward? You sure can if you'd like to. And confuse him with another former bottle shop employee. You can do that. <laughs> the collective bartender consciousness has been violated by Wayne Jr. <gasps> Gasp. Ooh, I can call him Dwayne. It'll it'll work out just <laughs> I'm sure that'll go over very well. Yeah, that'll be great. Uh Dwayne? <laughs> and then he'll tell you that the D is silent hillbilly. Okay, so, uh, Wayne? (laughs) Hey, hillbilly. Uh, (laughs) Oh, it's going to be good. Let's get the laughs out of the way, friends, because someone's getting hurt tonight. Feels good to be back, and it also feels good to come back knowing that Michael's going to hurt. Indeed. Uh, In fact, I was debating just not even showing up today, but then Shane (laughs) promised that Michael would be in pain, and I couldn't, couldn't resist. I mean, it's hard to. Well, I guess you can hurt me, Daddy. In the uh, <laughs> omnipresent words of Elton John, someone wrecked my life tonight. <laughs> Sugar you know, bear. You know how you defer from Michael, though, outside of being able to, you know, read well. Uh, <laughs> Besides being able to read. It's that you warn. It's not that you're just like you spring a trap on him. 
It's that mm-hmm. he's had all day to think about this. Yes. He's had all day knowing that tonight's going to be whatever it is. Tonight's a good night. And it's going to happen again and again. Yeah. It is. Yes. Has Thank you for going with <laughs> Let's me. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's so, do it. Uh, Michael, this day had been prophesied. And uh, much like was told to the Baron Harkonnen, there will be a reckoning. And I hope that you are prepared. Uh, I guess I'm not, because I just thought that you were just going to talk shit to me for an hour and a half or so. You thought but this it, is the roast of Michael Clark? Well, <laughs> some, something to that effect, In but I guess fact, I'm underestimating it. Michael, you're not wrong. I am going to talk shit to you for an hour, but uh, let's just give uh, me a second. Gang, so gang, uh, gang, gang. <laughs> for you lovely folks out there who are a little squeamish, I would strongly recommend, because I don't want to spoil this for the rest of my friends here, that you uh, check the show notes, because there will be some trigger warnings that you need to be aware of before we we get into tonight's topic so as long as you have have scrolled that and you are perfectly prepared for what's coming uh then let's let's barrel in shall we but uh for those of you who are listening and are blissfully unaware of what typically <laughs> happens on this godforsaken show usually we delve into random esoterica and in the course of explaining it to one another we lie occasionally and that is the shtick the co-hosts then have to ferret out the fact from fiction and that is the whole point of the show however we don't let you leave disinformed oh no no we have a denouement at the end of the episode where we'll tell you all all the things we fibbed about and why it was funny. But all I have for you is trauma today, friends. Yep. Yep. yep, yep. Traumatize me, daddy. Because there was a, a fine fiend of feeging a few uh, weeks ago and it was sprung upon us and we were just unwilling participants in a very disgusting <laughs> and trolling video. And so tonight will be the reckoning. So, we have six lies this evening, ladies and germaphobes. All right. Is everyone ready? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Give it All to right. me. Is this the story of Michael's conception? Here's the story of a fugly baby. <laughs> and they hung a stake around him for the dog. But the dog didn't want me either, so. Oh, it wanted so you in the here. worst way. You couldn't well, use I what mean... happened to your face. You couldn't even get COVID to hit on you. That's fair. You know, you're not wrong. <laughs> Have a, a sip of a, a bougie LaCroix. Ooh, it's going to be the water. only tasty thing that's going to be flowing out of my mouth this evening. Anyway, in our latest attempt to verify the reality of Rule 34, we're going to go deep on a subject that is a kissing cousin to one of Michael's prior exposés. Intestinal incursions come in all shapes and sizes, sects, and situations. And so if you thought eel insertion made you uncomfortable, things are about to get a little hairy. Gerbiling, also colloquially known as gerbil stuffing or gerbil shooting, is a sexual practice of inserting small live animals, typically gerbils, but occasionally purportedly involving mice, hamsters, rats, squirrels, guinea pigs, capybaras, and various other rodents. Capybaras is bullshit. Yeah, yeah no, get out of here with the capybara. <laughs> hey, if you get aggressive enough. <laughs> I mean, that, that's fair. The snout is somewhat phallic. It's also, just massive. I wouldn't do that to a poor capybara, though. They're the chillest animals you I've ever You would do this seen. to all the other animals, Michael? It, it, it'd it'd be a that's where you draw the line? Yeah. Capybaras also, are dope. 
what I love is that <laughs> Michael laughed, looked like pleasantly surprised, like pleasantly surprised. Emphasis on pleasantly. Uh-huh. But Courtney. Courtney's horrified. Absolutely mortified. <laughs> mm-hmm. Her face dropped like you just told her the bad news. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Look, I already knew there was no God, but this just really seals the deal for me. Ah, beautiful. Listen, let's leave the crappy bara out of here. All right. Oh. But, uh, but anyway, you were you were talking about Lemmy Winks. I was. I was. I was but gonna yes. say this is South. I've seen that South Park. Episode. I have. I have. Uh, I fibbed. Capybaras can't comfortably be fit into a rectum. <laughs> but, oh, uh, with that attitude. Indeed. But in any event. Uh, so back to my uh, stuffing a gerbil uh, into <laughs> or any other small live rodent into the human rectum in order to obtain stimulation. Superpowers. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> lemme winks, lemme winks. <laughs> Some variation of reports suggest that the rodent should also be covered in a psychoactive substance, such as cocaine or heroin, prior to being inserted. Is that bullshit? That is not bullshit. That's Whoa. human shit. But um, <laughs> there is no God, Courtney. You're right. Indeed. No. Damn. So coked for your pleasure. But uh, this was likely injected into the public consciousness via an urban legend of Philadelphia newscaster Jerry Penacoli, but we'll pass that story later. Again, pun intended. But (laughs) with all of this said, however, there is, in point of fact, very limited documentation on the process through which one would achieve the aim of converting your intestinal tract to a hamster mansion nor how one would cope with the actuality that rodents possess long nails and teeth often utilized in digging, as well as an instinctual need to burrow out of any enclosed spaces. But I digress. So according to folklorist Jan Harald Brunvand, accounts of gerbiling were first recorded in 1984, and initially were said to involve a mouse and, strangely enough, stick with me, an anonymous man. (gasps) <gasps> wait, 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 what? Whoa, an Indeed. anonymous man? I'm I'm as gobsmacked as you are. I feel like he's everywhere. Damn. In subsequent versions of this story, the animal, and this is for you boys, anamorphed into a gerbil, <laughs> and the story cycled through a slew of male celebrities that had earned the ire of beta males everywhere, birthing a string of persistent and elaborate urban legends. Ultimately, it would seem that the bulk of these tales originate from a need for some sort of defamatory tale to emasculate or denigrate an individual in the public spotlight. Given the extreme prejudice against homosexuality in many of the Christian doctrines, and I know, I know, strange, often unheard of, but, uh, and one could also argue in the general American consciousness, what? No! (laughs) But accusing a man of enjoying anal activity is a common slanderous tool utilized to stigmatize celebrities. And I said, you haven't fucked me well enough to embarrass me. And you would say that. Okay. (laughs) Like the pin drop there. Thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, because it sounds like something you would say, so I, uh, I had no reaction to that. Also, I remember that's something that your wife said to you at one point, but uh, anyway. <laughs> so, Courtney, um, before is, you get... a lonely house. Before you get too terrified, allow me to just uh, relieve you of a little bit of trauma. This isn't what you think it's going to be. It's worse. Oh! <laughs> My mind is suddenly at ease. Indeed. Thank you. 
<laughs> They're all beanie babies. Indeed, yes. So just okay. inside if it of helps man's you ass. process it, if it helps you process, then but yes, I am going to say babies. now that the uh, gerbils the out of the cat is the cat is out of the bag and the gerbil is into the bag. Uh, we're gonna have to say that there is gonna be one big trauma push here, and then once <laughs> once we have that out of the way, we're done. And so just uh, steal your ears, uh, put your mind someplace else, and then once we're through that, we're good. Because largely, we're going to be talking about the urban legends surrounding gerbiling. Go ahead, John. Okay. Oh, sorry. I-, I feel like what you're trying to say is it's the first time doing it. It's going to take a little hard push to get into it. But then mm-hmm. once we get past that moment, then it should be easy and it might actually end up feeling good. As with any relationship, there's a threshold that needs to be crossed before comfort can be achieved. Yes, I, yeah. I agree. And this, and this, uh, talking about the trigger is like the lubricant that helps it make it easier to pass. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, unlike Michael, I am not just going to go whole hog and try to disgust all of you with something that should not be discussed in polite society. We're I'm polite. going to gently just coax this in. But uh, the the full accounting is going to start right now. So firstly, according to the editors of Snopes.com, gerbiling is an unverified, although persistent, urban legend. So there's nothing to say that this is an actual practice other than, you know, occasional water cooler talk from a bunch of slack-jawed simpletons. Did they actually say it's a persistent myth? Yes. Huh. I like that that's what you think I'm lying about. No, no, I was just curious if they actually... Yeah. (laughs) No, honestly, like, I was just curious. I was really fascinated when Shane told me that he was going to be talking about this, and I looked it up, too, and it said that it's also hand-in-hand connected to QAnon. That makes sense, actually. I believe that. That's how they have the Q drops. It is actually Mr. Hands and Hand (laughs) with QAnon, but that's just... (laughs) Horse of a different color, if you don't mind my saying so. But in any event, the act of gerbiling, according to the internet, is simple. Cover your ears if you're not ready for this, kids. But in most instances, it involves a tube up the bottom, followed by a cleverly, <laughs> or followed by cleverly coaxing a gerbil up said tube into the unwinking eye. Now, Sauron, Sauron, sorry. (laughs) Oh, it's going to be Sauron somewhere, but uh, Uh, some accounts do suggest that the gerbil be declawed as a precautionary measure. uh, And waste all the good suffering? Or this can be bypassed by wrapping their paws in fabric-based duct tape. That's bullshit. That's the loser way out. No, that is not bullshit. This is a recommended use of a gerbil. (laughs) Just wrap her up. It's like you're going the whole way and you're like, wait, we should be safe about this. Let's let's duct tape their claws so we can't die, but let's still go for it. I mean, uh, intestinal hemorrhaging is not something that the American Medical Association would recommend, friend. Do you think like <laughs> in gerbil society, they talk about these as kind of like UFO abductions? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think they talk about it the way that we as teenagers would talk about castles and coasters. <laughs> A place that sounds fun until you get stuck in the tube. (laughs) That is called ufology. (laughs) Indeed. I went to MUFON and uh, they told me I needed to save myself. So, the main gist, of course, 
and I said gist, I know. is to have the gerbil slaloming around one's anus long enough to bring about sexual pleasure. That's the idea. It's not difficult it, to, it you know, I don't really, need a diagram. I was going to say, know. it really does bring meaning to getting up in them guts, you know? Indeed, quite literally. <laughs> Thank you, Jason Muse. Uh, one might... Per se, lure the gerbil up the tube with a piece of cheese, or inversely, light a flame under a funnel to send the gerbil scurrying. No. I know it's not supposed to be funny, and I know that if you if this does exist, and the person that's doing it is doing it that way, that they're most likely a heroin addict, but there's just something so frantic sounding to me of just being like, I need this gerbil up there. I need to make this work. Anyway, doesn't matter. <laughs> Well, Courtney, I wish I could tell you you were right, but you're not. Uh, This is part of the rumor, is you can coax it with flame. And in point of fact, allow me to go further, and here's where you're going to want to, you know, take some Dramamine. Uh, Readers, and John will back me up on this, of Brett Easton Ellis' notorious novel American Psycho will recall a similar approach with a rat in a habitrail cage, where the lead character, Patrick Bateman, slathers cheese inside of a young woman's nethers and coaxes a rat inside of her by heating up the cage behind the rat with a blowtorch. That was the scene in the book that made me put the book down for a good week or so. Yep. It uh, it is one of the most nauseating passages that I ever encountered outside of a Palinuk tale, and it made me nauseous to read that passage. It's horrific. Yeah. So, uh, needless to say, that is something that they recommend. Was that the hard push? That's the hard push. That's all we need to think okay. about, and I'm, get, I'm not going to get any more graphic than that, I assure you. Oh, so you're kinder than Michael. Yeah, yes. I was going to say... Th- this isn't really a, a roast or, or anything like that. I, I feel fine. Oh, I'll roast you. He can, okay. Yeah, he'll still do a spit take, too. You flock of seagulls looking motherfucker. <laughs> anyway. Why, you, why is your hair so, so quaffed? Blonde! <laughs> Wait, it's, you think it's actually quaffed? Oh, that's so generous. Oh, he thought it was a schwin. <laughs> <laughs> it's pronounced queefed. Thank you. Um, in any wow. event. Aw. <laughs> Many posts detailing the appropriate approach to gerbiling suggest the application of drugs rubbed onto the animal, not into the animal, might also be helpful. For men, the burrowing of the gerbil stimulates the prostate, which can provoke spontaneous ejaculation. Michael, you're familiar with this. Um, in any event. <laughs> I don't need the prostate for that, but I You don't have a prostate. Yeah, I understand. Got taken out. I have a water balloon that got behind my dick. Are you always just, are your balls always just in a constant state of Russian roulette? You never know what's going to make you bust. (laughs) Oh, no. God forbid you bump into a table the wrong way. It was loaded the whole time. Well, Courtney, I'm not going to leave you out of this. For women, there are also options where the gerbil can be introduced. There are options. Owing to various adult videos, this is confirmed. Not hungry. (laughs) Thirsty, maybe? No, pass. Also, Uh, hopefully. The reason that you're doing this now instead of when you were telling me about it is because of the infamous episode that went too far. 
because we, we pushed this back because this was supposed to be the episode that followed up the milk episode. Yes, this was <laughs> this was directly in the chamber after that, and I said, "No, she'll she'll kill herself." You, yeah, you, I'm I not think gonna... you, you and I were texting, and I was like, "Man, I really needed that episode. It would have made me it would have made my week." And you're like, "Yeah, we're gonna have to wait a couple. It's gonna be okay, but you, we gotta let it breathe." <laughs> Slight decompression period before we resume the accordion into so, the asshole. A congratulations, sorry to Courtney. <laughs> but at least this time it's not her topic that we're going to dogpile our adolescents onto. Gerbil pile, thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also known as a cluster, strangely enough, but in any event. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the variance. The equipment at its most basic is tube, gerbil, orifice. The notion isn't complex, even if its execution is almost assured to generate further complications. And that's my new rock, paper, scissors. Indeed. <laughs> tube, gerbil, orifice. No one wins. Yeah, no one wins. <laughs> So, uh, it's important to note for the sake of this discussion, friends, that unlike feeging, there are no reports in peer-reviewed medical literature describing gerbiling amid the literal shitstorm of stories of foreign objects being removed from individuals' anal orifices. Is that true? That is true. You would imagine this would help quell the slew of rumors surrounding the practice, but it appears, stop the presses, that sophomoric simpletons are fixated on fuzzy creatures inexorably inserted into people's poop shoots. Who knew? Yeah. So why is this subject so fascinating to forums and furry defamers everywhere? There you go, Michael. Call back. How is it that even now we're unable to state with any conclusiveness whether gerbiling first emerged as an actual sexual activity practiced by real people or as liver-quivering legend? Was there some anal trailblazer whose unfortunate explorations led to the infamy of the act? Or is there a why or wherefore of gerbiling that... Just manages to seem bottomless. But uh, once again, once again, I am here asking you to please pardon my puns. <laughs> so in the hard-boiled cliches of noir fiction, there is often a rat to be sniffed out. One that scurries and hides, but is always betrayed by its odoriferous emanations. This premise essentially works for gerbiling. Just substitute one rodent for another. In the 1931 film Blonde Crazy, a mobster by the name of Bert Harris, which is played by James Cagney, points a gun at his victim and issues a now rather notorious line, which, much like our gerbiling story, seems to be ceaselessly embellished with each retelling. That dirty double-crossing rat! The culprit here is one Joe Reynolds, and in this instance, he's hiding in a closet. So... The Rat and Old Joe in the Closet, a metaphor interminably linked with the concept of the case of gerbiling. Gerbil stuffing, as some call it, has, since its inception, existed mostly in the pantheon of stuff gay men do. And I am making air quotes here. So while contemporary folklore includes tales of rodents inserted in women's unmentionables as well, the origins of rats in asses are explicitly tied to male homosexual acts. 
folklorist Noreen Dresser, and that's a name that you want to have on a name tag on a Friday night mixer, uh, <laughs> explores this history via her 1994 essay, The Case of the Missing Gerbil. With her, with a title that nods to Raymond Chandler's own detective stories, Dresser seeks to find the narrative origins of, to use her precise phrase, rodents inside rectums of homosexuals. The tales she relates appear more than a little apocryphal. Dresser concedes as much, but they manage somehow to shift from the realm of hearsay into that of feasible through sheer proliferation of recitation. One such story appears thusly. During the Vietnam War, American soldiers were purportedly dodging the draft by letting a rat tail dangle from their anus as an ersatz indication of their homosexuality, which was at that time strictly forbidden in the military, let's remember. Colloquially speaking, these inventive draft dodgers then facilitated the don't-ask-don't-tell policy by rather dramatically showing and telling. That so, is a true story. This is a true story. Well, a, a true apocryphal yes. story. But yes, Essentially, this is something that was recited often enough for it to gain fame or infamy, depending upon the circle you run in. I feel like if you're trying to show that you're gay, there are a lot easier things to do than shoving a rat up your ass. And well, furthermore, think, not that that's a bad thing either. No, no, right. I mean for you're the sake of dodging the, the draft for correct. Vietnam. Mm -hmm. But... I feel like there's a lot easier things to a variety of things easier. Yeah, like what? I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, like what kind of things, Michael? Well, what you what do kind the of things show? did you do? I would probably try and figure out all the stereotypes that people presume that all homosexuals to just quote from that time period. But you would could just do. be acting. Like, how would you actually prove it? Yeah, like what would you do? I don't think they're going to be like, yeah, show it. Go fuck this guy over there. Would but you like, uh, would, would you, you maybe it? possibly like have a very large wave of bangs on the you know front of your head? Would that be a start or if that's a stereotype, I I don't really know stereotypes. That's why I was vague about it. Um would but, you be wearing like a red shirt and like over ear headphones maybe to like show Hey <laughs> Sure. <laughs> I guess the secret's out then. Apparently, Courtney has something against over-ear headphones, but uh, yeah, this is perfectly fine. That's why she's the only one not using them. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch! He's like, I'm straight. I swear. <laughs> I get. Uh. <laughs> he just threw his headphones across aye, the room. Yeah. Okay. Meanwhile, I've so. been sliding into your husband's DMs, but we're not. Not gonna talk about that. <laughs> That's just two chums being very chummy. Yeah. You should you should teach sex anyway, ed. Sorry. If you don't stop that, you're gonna make him chum. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. So with all of this said, what we are concerned with here is the rise in the public awareness in the contemporary climate, and there is one very notable catalyst to point to. A beleaguered and much maligned movie star, Richard Gere. Bullshit. Uh, you haven't heard the Richard Gere gerbil story. Wait, wasn't that part? Wasn't he like referenced in that South Park episode with the the gerbil or something? Okay, but well, no, it is not bullshit. Richard Gere has been infamously character assassinated on multiple occasions with this, and it is horrible. So that is one of the primary reasons we are getting into this today because it is a very notorious urban legend. Okay, but you huh. fuck one gerbil. <laughs> <laughs> 
Easy. So, <laughs> however, Gear was not the first to be branded as a deviant with the mark of the gerbil as it stands. According to a 1990 piece entitled The Trouble with Gerbils, published in the LGBT periodical The Advocate, uh, in it, media critic Catherine Sipe mentions a TV weatherman from Wichita, Rick Siegel, who was pressured into resigning from his job due to gerbiling rumors. Uh, scant consolation to Siegel, but uh, even he wasn't the first newscaster to be so afflicted. As I alluded to earlier in the early 80s, a Philadelphia KYW newscaster named Jerry Penicoli suffered career damage after a rumor started that he had a... Let me start over here with actual reasonable read here. A Philadelphia KYW newscaster named Jerry Penicoli suffered career damage after a rumor started that he had visited a local emergency room to have a gerbil removed from his colon. It is also purported that that gerbil had died from a cocaine overdose, which we can theorize may have given rise to stories surrounding coating the animal in psychoactive substances. It just really goes to show that addiction goes through everything, you know? Even a dickhead, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that poor little hamster family was torn apart. Indeed. I said stop the damn match. That's what I said. But, um, yeah. Gerbil had a family. Jeffrey the gerbil and his drug addiction. Look where it led him. Not even once. Don't do drugs. Indeed. Yeah. Today we're sponsored by Dare. Let's not even talk about what happened to the... I dare you to do it. (laughs) (laughs) I dare you to start. (laughs) We won't even get into the habits of the rice at... at The rice. The mice of Nim, but uh, we'll just leave that for another discussion. In the archives. Yes, go back. We'll have a discussion. Can we call this episode of Mice and Men? Uh, No, this was actually going to be titled Gears of War or Richard Gear Solid. I'm trying to determine which one would be appropriate. Of mice in men? Is that what you said, John? Of mice and or of mice in men? Yeah. I mean, there's so many subtitles here. It's going to be like a bad Italian film. (sighs) In any event, the correlative to all of these things is, of course, celebrity. This is ultimately what typically drives your standard gerbiling story. A rumor is always more salacious with someone famous attached. In Sipe's 1990 article, she describes a conversation with a supervisor for the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, and you knew they were going to rear their heads in some point in the story, who estimated that having heard gerbil stories uh, attributed to at least 10 different celebrities over the past several decades. Uh, particularly during the 1980s, at the height of this phenomenon, and we will mention that there was a lot of uh, queer shaming at the time due to yeah. the AIDS epidemic, uh, the merest hint of homosexuality radiating from a burgeoning star caused some truly offensive public perception to bloom in the concertedly heterosexual halls of Hollywood. So now we'll return to the most notorious alleged gerbiler in the history of gerbling, Mr. Richard Gere. As William Faulkner once excoriated the City of Angels, Hollywood is a place where a man can get stabbed in the back while climbing a ladder. It would seem that at the zenith of Gere's ascent to superstardom, someone elected to bring him back to Earth with a touch of public scandal. The rumor, which John has apparently not uncovered, but which for any all that anyone can ever uncover is purely myth. This has never been substantiated, mind you. Mm-hmm. Went something like this. 
Sometime in the 80s, Gear was admitted to the emergency room at Cedar sinai an L.A. hospital, with a gerbil trapped in his rectum. Allegedly, the gerbil was successfully removed, no harm, no foul, no rodent either, and Gear went on to star in his most successful film to date, An Officer and a Gentleman. However, that is not to say that Gear escaped unscathed. Jokes about Gear and the gerbil, who at one point was tagged with the casually racialized name Tibet, became fodder for media ridicule. We'll explain why it's okay. Tibet later. But um, Dresser posits that the tale of Gear's gerbilectomy was much more widespread and enduring than its predecessors, which is commensurate with the level of celebrity that Gear had attained versus the aforementioned newscasters, who are just local minor television celebrities. Gear's notoriety subsequently warranted allusions to the lurid tale in tabloids and coy references on radio and television programming, because, yeah, no one would ever make fun of things like that, no, particularly never. not with microphones in their face. Nope. <laughs> hmm. Sorry, I had to do a Kevin Smith turn to camera here. I haven't had one of those in a while. You did too. Uh, so, uh, Gear's notoriety is subsequently... Okay, here we go. At its apex, during the 1992 Super Bowl halftime show, In Living Color cast members made references to it. This is during the halftime show of the Super Bowl, friends. Sam Kinison employed it in a lead joke for the 1990 Out of London Music Awards. Strangely enough, the above allusions were all made post-1990. However, most research would indicate that Gear's story was rolling through the rumor mill years before that, as we indicated earlier, originating circa an officer and a gentleman in 1982. Yeah. Far in advance of the release of Pretty Woman in 1990, which was again another major cresting wave for Gear's uh, acting career. Yet, it was treated as a brand new rumor when it circulated in 1990, how quickly we forget, uh, particularly when one is painted with that lurid a brush. But uh, we can attribute this to the, again, increasing escalation of Gears' popularity. So, while commercial internet was not in existence for these earlier mentions of close encounters of the turd kind, that's... Did you just, actually write that? I did not. Uh, you did. You I know that Bullshit. was lifted. Uh, human shit. Oh, uh, I bet you have different accents, didn't you? You little slippery fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Say hi to your mom for me. Uh, one site offers a clue as to where one might begin to chase the gerbil paper trail. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, no, I believe that it wasn't him at all. Thank you. You write that. Gerbils go all the way to the top. <laughs> Gerbil paper trail. Uh, I will admit the article that I uh, lifted from for this was very fond of the double entendre as well, particularly revolving around the intestines. I so, mean, why not? It, it writes itself. It practically does. Uh, so straight dope author Cecil Adams received a letter about gay gerbiling dated March 28th, 1980 that asked about the mechanics and philosophy of gerbil stuffing. Let's that's, say that's that pretty I deep. was to be interested in. <laughs> I don't know why I pictured you saying that in a Ben Shapiro voice. I, I don't know why. <laughs> I stuff, therefore I yam. Ben Shapiro is actually the gerbil going in. Oh. oh. <laughs> That was the hard push there. <laughs> uh, tomato Shapiro. Anyway, 
It is much drier in here than I ever anticipated. This actually so. smells better than my mouth. That's strange. <laughs> oh. It's very strange. Shit flies out of both of them, but yet this is far more well-maintained. I don't know. In it's any event. Pleasant, even. Do you think it's more likely that Richard Greer would do this and actually did this, or that Ben Shapiro would? Uh, seeing oh. as Greer was my grandmother's surname, you're going to need to reel that back. Richard Gear, <laughs> Greer, Gear, whatever. No, you know what you meant. <laughs> Trying to Wanda Sykes me over here. <laughs> like how fucking Courtney's over here at the gas can. <laughs> fight, fight, fight. So... <laughs> Cecil's response is consistent with others of its ilk, and uh, it concludes with hands thrown in the air. <laughs> I've checked with numerous sources in both the gay and medical communities, and though everybody has heard about gerbil stuffing, everybody and every attempt to track down an actual case has come to naught. The whole business sounds completely nuts and implausible to boot. Unlike others, though, Cecil does pull out at least some descriptive, if not verified, threads. Rumors of gerbil and mouse or hamster stuffing have been circulating since around 1982. In 1984, a Denver Weekly claimed it had confirmed reports of gerbilectomy in a local emergency room. The Manhattan publication New York Talk reported several years ago that New York doctors first caught on to stuffing when they started encountering patients with infections previously only found in rodents. But no such case has ever found its way into formal literature of medicine, which, again, is very important to note. Is that uh, rumors of people getting only rodent infections? That's that's true? People actually... That's that the a... claim. But again, Man, all of this is spurious. There's not a thing here that can be verified or even sounds remotely credible. It's all just anecdotal. What won't well, we I mean, I can it? see where it comes from because there are several diseases that have hopped from a different animal up to us. And then I think it was also a rumor that um, AIDS was also uh, carried over from uh, an orangutan or, or no, a chimpanzee or something like that. Those are not I, rodents. I, well, yes, but I mean like that idea that you can catch that it's possible to spread non-human infections or diseases yes. to people. Yes. And if that was a rumor for the AIDS epidemic, it could have been, it makes sense that that would be a rumor for gerbil stuffing. Well, uh, Michael, I, just I watched... would assert, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, I just watched Michael do a beautiful mind and just like do all these calculations in his head. <laughs> Aliens. Yeah. Lemurs. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> Mr. Michael, I would assert to you that any disease that a rat could carry, a squirrel could equally carry. Oh, Is it not so? I, I, I guess. And You're yet I don't imagine edibles. that you have the same animosity for a squirrel that you do for a mouse, would you? No, I can't say that I do. Indeed, it's a rat, but anyway. Uh, wow, well, he's really falling for this Inglorious Bastards bit, isn't he? Sure is, sure is. I, w I was going for it. I, I figured it, instead of like trying to fight it, I might as well just yield to it. What? I no! Was, that, hair, that haircut always said exactly what I knew about you. you know? <laughs> what? <laughs> he gets his haircut with a pencil sharpener. Uh... <laughs> All right, so if germal, germal, if gerbil rumors did start circulating around 1982, like a hamster wheel, uh, they 
coincide with, of course, An Officer and a Gentleman, Gear's last big hit before Pretty Woman. The date of the Denver publication, 1984, would also coincide with what was probably the first printed, printed citation of gerbiling by one Jan Harold Brunvand, who I did allude to earlier. Brunvand, as you will recall, if you're seeking some sort of authority on the concept of gerbiling, he's as close as we're going to get. All right. The Wikipedia entry on gerbiling refers to American folklorist Brunvand's Encyclopedia of Urban Legends, first edition, which, of course, draws on information from various academic journals. Brunvand also wrote a short piece titled The Colorectal Mouse, which appeared in Medical Horrors section of The Mexican Pet. I thought that His was a new bo- Marvel Plus series. <laughs> Listen, you leave Squirrel Girl out of this. I don't want to hear any more defamatory nonsense. It's, it's Melissa's Lava gonna, Girl. Melissa will slap me for that one later. Uh <laughs> Squirrel Girl is her favorite comic character, and I've just done a horrible thing there. Oof. Yeah, don't take those things away from her. She showed me that baby shark. Indeed. Or, was it Jeff? Jeff? No, that was Courtney. My bad. Never mind. Yeah, you can ruin squirrels from less outside. <laughs> so, John, I don't know if you know this or if your Jonah-fueled fantasies have just led you astray. <laughs> Courtney and I are mind. not in a relationship. <laughs> We have dramatically different partners that uh, exist in totally separate homes. You. It's like the multiverse, you know, John, from the movies. You white, you Ben Affleck. <laughs> well, speaking of Ben Affleck, I think the colorectal mouse was, in fact, the first propo- proposed name for Batman back in the day. Is the 1940s proposition, and then it's like, nah, we can't do that. Batman. Let me show you this thing. In any event. Chuck E. Cheese. Ooh. So, in the medical horrors section of The Mexican Pet, which is Brunvald's book on urban legends published in 1986, he states, In fall 1984, I heard five versions of this story from places as scattered as Pennsylvania, Swiss Midwest, Colorado's, Utah, and Southern California. Correspondence particularly from New York and California, have continued to mention the story through 1985. In one recent variation, Jerpling, it is said that the gerpel is first put into the plastic bag and given a shot of laughing gas to pep it up a little. Now, one wonders if Brunvond ever received a call from Mike Walker, the National Enquirer gossip columnist who once spent months attempting to verify the gear rumors. I've never worked harder on a story in my life, Walker told the Palm Beach Post in 1995. You can probably predict the end of Walker's story. After much investigation, he was unable to find any evidence that the gear incident actually happened. Wild. Curious. I'm convinced Hmm. that is nothing more than an urban legend. (gasps) He said the thing. Before abandoning this thought altogether, however, we will end on a statement from Michael Musto. No, not an elephant state of arousal, Michael. I know that you're still on the kick, but... uh... All right, fine. I forgot the elephant's name. I was going to say R.I.P. Tusco. Thank you. It's like, you show (laughs) him the respect that he deserves. Oh, because of Michael, I actually knew something that another podcast was talking about. 
they're talking about or no it was shane actually i was they're talking about mk i was Ultra. like and if it was did, a me uh, episode, you wouldn't remember it. So, so uh, it's important to note for the listening audience that it is as we speak today, recording this episode four twenty. I'm actually not, and high. I'm, I'm fairly certain that I am the only person on this call who is not high as giraffe pussy right now. <laughs> so, I'm actually not high right now. I was high earlier. Why There's do you difference. think that? Yeah, why do you think that? Because you're all reprobates, and I don't trust you. <laughs> I mean, he's not you got wrong. Me there. I yeah. Evidence. All right, anyway, you're not stoned. You're just lightly toasted. That would actually describe me <laughs> pretty well. That's okay. Just... All right. Well, as long as we've clarified that. Oh, lightly toasted. Yes, that's me constantly. Yes, yeah, since that uh, John's now attributing my, my episodes to Michael and thinks that Courtney and I are married, um, I'm just a little disturbed by this whole train of thought. I look at things and they're different. <laughs> so he's, what, an, he's a multiverse john he's what, not our universe what i'm trying to say is i was raised in a home where i knew i couldn't smell color I, and i mean like i, I don't I'm, i, I resent your implication i'm not gonna sit here and let you goddamn insult people that were born smell blind i'm not gonna do that. catholicism doesn't believe in synesthesia i've said this on many occasions <laughs> You say what I don't. You want. I don't know what pink smells like. <laughs> Obviously, say what you say what you want about <laughs> nose blind people, but you leave Jesus out of this. Shame. Indeed, I tried. I'd... All right. Well, now that we've distracted ourselves for a moment, here we oh, go. Yeah. So, Michael Musto, whose landmark gossip column La Dolce Musto has been running the Village Voice since 1984. I will note the Village Voice is no longer being printed, so this is a little dated. Oof. However, the year that interests us so much, that's 1984 for those of you who are following along and not stoned, uh, his response didn't open up any leads to the potential origins of gerbling so much as negate them altogether. Most of those states trying to think of a voice that's not going to get me yelled at by somebody here we go just do, do my voice <laughs> oh a john okay yeah do john <clears throat> it kind of sounds like this both are total myths <laughs> the fact that gay men like gerbling and the fact that richard gear likes gerbling so you know I, I'm Elmo, not John. Yeah, <laughs> oh, Elmo. Oh, I thought you were. <laughs> you know, to say the gear thing, stand out of some gay phenomena, it's crazy. That was a myth to begin with. It just became one of these incredible urban legends. Meanwhile, in the Shane the household, Melissa is packing an overnight bag. <laughs> <laughs> Come pick me up. I'm scared. Actually, she's she's never more turned on than when I talk <laughs> monster to her. So it's it's pretty good. In bed, I am super over. <laughs> is he a man or is he a muppet of a man? Yes, I'm as furry as a muppet, and you can fit your hand up my ass to make me do things. Why waste a hand when you could use a gerbil instead? Well. I value the life of the rodent, my friend. Mm. Unlike you, you sick fuck. <laughs> Gerbil's gonna gerbil. 
<laughs> scribble, scrabble, scribble, scrabble. All right. So urban legends, however ludicrous in concept, apparently die hard. Shortly after Pretty Woman's release, a phony letter addressed from the Association for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals was sent over fax across Hollywood accusing gear of gerbil abuse, which is the reason why Sype was speaking with the supervisor for her advocate article. This phony letter is the most real document of the entire gerbil saga. Another thing that actually happened, in a 1991 interview, Barbara Walters asked Gear about certain salacious rumors. Gear, this is true. Barbara Walters actually asked him to address Barbara this. Barbara Walters. Oh, Barb. On oh, Barbara air. Walters. So, Gear. I love Richard Gear for this in ways that I can't appropriately you mean express. Greer? Fuck you. So, uh. <laughs> good old Richard responded. I've heard from several sources that you're dead, so obviously we can't believe every bit of nonsense that gets rumored about. Damn. Beautiful. Amazing. Golf clap. Absolutely fantastic. Her face would indicate she's been dead for years. Uh, In any event, several years later, a people story on Gear and Cindy Crawford's relationship also included the mention of this rumor. Nor had Gear appeared to take the talk at all seriously. The cold, hard truth will fall on stony ground, whereas all your all-around trashy rumor will flourish like a weed, is what Gear uh, told an Associated Press reporter in February. Some have theorized it's Gear's willingness to champion gay causes, as an example, being one of the first major stars to take a role in the HBO film And the Band Played On, which specifically addresses the AIDS epidemic, fueled this talk. Friends say Gear is simply indifferent to such nonsense. It's a non-issue to him, says Pretty Woman producer Steve Rother. By 1997, even The Simpsons was treating the Gear gerbil story as old news. The opening sequence to The Cartridge Family episode shows Bart scribbling, Everyone is tired of that Richard Gear story over and over on the chalkboard. That's bullshit. No, that is true. Oh my god. So, I am still agog that you have not heard this, friend. But uh, in any event, while the Richard Gere story itself is too tired to bear restatement, Bart's repeated inscription of the fact of the story stands as its own ironic echo of a tale tired, relentless, and finally unsubstantiated, insubstantiated, (laughs) non-substantiated. I think all those pass. Yes. I'm just, you know, (laughs) judges. Ten. It should also be stated that the uh, rumor didn't kill Gear's celebrity either, as he was voted People's Sexiest Man Alive in 1999. So you just can't keep a good guy down. Or a good gerbil in. Easy. (laughs) (laughs) So still, the talk did not end there. In 2006, another fucking rumor about Richard Gere began making the rounds. This time, it was a rumor about the rumor. I kid you not, you can't make this stuff up. This time, it was claimed that Sylvester Stallone, who was a nemesis of Gears after their documented fallout on the sets of The Lords of Flatbush in 1974. You've heard about this, John, right? Being no. another cine east, yeah, neither had I. But in any event, apparently, <laughs> in, that, in that case, in that case, I'm obligated to say bullshit. Yeah, uh, no, this is true. So apparently, uh, they didn't get along, and uh, Gear was officially fired mid shoot. 
And uh, so, in any event, what is behind the rumor, Stallone posited this theory himself, apropos of nothing. During a Q&A, which was held on December 10th of 2006 for AICN, that's Ain't It Cool News for those of you who are not hep to the lingo, Stallone stated, <laughs> Richard was given his walking papers and to this day seriously dislikes me. It's a bad Stallone, I know. He even <laughs> thinks I'm the individual responsible for the gerbil rumor. It's not true, but that's the rumor. I feel like if you wanted to be better at that accent, you'd have to be less intelligible. You just take a couple short, yeah. sharp shots to the head. Yeah. yeah. Box me, daddy. So, <laughs> what Hot is... Oh, no. <laughs> Here's the 420 again. Get it while it's hot, kids. Hot box me, daddy. What's Let's peculiar about this quote? Sorry. Really? So, what is peculiar about the quote in question <laughs> is... Uh, the question Stallone was responding to didn't mention gear or gerbils at all. <laughs> oh, oops. The question oof. in full was, could you share an anecdote or two about filming the Lords of Flatbush? <laughs> He's like, boy, do I have one for you. So if you wanted some character assassination... Perhaps Stallone's animus towards gear meant that he simply couldn't let the opportunity to let a dig pass, but as far as one can tell, Stallone's frustration over gear's paranoia was real. Uh, the comic consequence of voicing it in public, however, was that he himself then precipitated an entirely new storyline about how maybe he, <laughs> Stallone, was really at the center of all of this stuff happening in the first place, or germinating, if you will. So he played himself. Indeed. <laughs> I've been had. He got a quarter up his ass instead of a rodent. Well, it happens. Indeed. So the durability of this gerbling rumor, which of course has followed gear now for more than three decades, speaks to how the contemporary imagination perceives celebrity and furthermore, homosexuality. Fame no longer runs on word of mouth. With online forms of virality, rumor becomes fact in a matter of milliseconds, and folks aren't exactly prone to investigating spurious claims if the story is entertaining enough. Let's just run it. It's a 24-hour news cycle. We can issue an apology. Give so, me them clicks. Exactly. Take the Stallone quote, for example. It was immediately picked up across various media circuits, and its provenance was never questioned. Nobody asked why it was prompted. No one asked the context. No one even thought that the two of them having arguments with one another publicly might be the reason why this was being floated to mm. a group of people. Nope. Just let it fly. So as mm. much as the concept of gerbiling might cause some to chuckle, <clears throat> the logic of the joke, it seems, is more hostile than not. As with gossip, the individual at the center of the gerbiling story is always... Somebody else. If they're famous, well, all the better to break them with it. Male insecurity is far from a silent killer, and I am living proof of that. It's a maniac wielding a chainsaw and raving that it has to return some videotapes. Nice. Thank you. It's a wonderful card you have there. Stories like this stand as gleaming examples of impotent, venomous vitriol our society is all too often heir to. And so... Pardon the pun one more time. For a fast and loose summation, 
I will crib from Maynard James Keenan and say that we all feed on tragedy. It's like blood to a vampire. And perhaps Richard Gere can take solace in the credo that anyone trying to tear you down is, by the nature of their actions, beneath you. So with that said, those fixated on tales of things either entering or being extruded from someone's anus are all too often simply assholes themselves, and should be accorded that same level of respect and credulity. Live and let live, my friends. Life is complicated enough without needlessly concerning yourself with other people's posterior proclivities. And that is how I choose to end, no pun intended, this particular episode. So there you are, friends. Wow. Uh, golf, okay. golf clap for Shane. Thank you. Yeah, I started out oh, yeah. uh, funny and then decided to yell at you for laughing at it. It's uh, an interesting approach, <laughs> I find, but you know, I can be didactic from yeah. time to time. Yeah. I like go- I like my emotions going on a roller coaster mm. from time to time. I also like that we, feel alive. Got, that we only got one lie as well. Yeah, that's pitiful. And yeah. that was an easy as shit lie. And if I you know feel- what a capybara is. And I feel like I was slap happy too. It's. Uh, I. I will admit that is part of the fun of doing an episode like this. But also, ironically enough, so here's the story of a lovely lady. Uh, after Michael's feeging episode, the next day I was listening to the Jim Cornette uh, podcast, and they were talking about the Jerry Penicoli thing because uh, it took place in Philadelphia, and because they're associated with a bunch of professional wrestling uh, promoters in that area, everybody got in on the Jerry Panicoli bit. So they sat and talked about gerbiling on the Jim Cornette experience for 45 minutes the next day. So that is what actually caused this to sort of coalesce in my mind. And they were far less delicate about discussing this, but then they alluded to this article. So I went, okay, well, I guess I can check this out because they didn't touch on the Richard Gere thing at all. And that's the only context I ever heard the gerbiling story bandied around in, particularly that Cindy Crawford had taken him to the hospital because they were in a relationship at the time. So it's like really salacious nonsense and, you know, entertaining but then it made me think back to the uh east and ellis stuff because american psycho really messed with my mind Same. the film is is supposed to be very fun and light-hearted despite how gory it is the book is horrific it will traumatize you if you read that thing without I, an open mind i wonder if you if i would have read it like when it was released like if in that kind of reality like if mm-hmm. it was funny then or like if it was more satirical on the nose like within a year or two of release and then when did it come out? Like in the 80s, right? That's a good question. I don't actually remember off the top of my head. It's it's set in the 80s, but I feel like it's a 90s book. Uh, thank you, John, because I've got too many screens open to do some research here. But um, So does anyone, uh, before we get too far afield, anyone have any yeah, further fair. stabs before we dive into this? Uh, was mm. it really mentioned at the Super Bowl? Sure was. By in the, By in the living cast color? of In Living Color. Yeah. Huh. Published oh it, uh, American Psycho was published in ninety one. There we go. Ooh, okay. So it's uh, what we call the late eighties. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Huh. Okay. I actually would be curious to f- to find out like what the like current or the then perception of the book was um, mm. compared to now. Well, you could just look at reception. You know, that is John's equivalent of saying you know Google's a thing. I. I 
yes, but I'm not going to do that while we're recording. Indeed. I was just <laughs> voicing my interest in that. We're having a conversation here. It was all fun and games until someone got hit in the ass with a capybara. <laughs> okay. That capybara was never the same. So here we go. Um, I mentioned the lies specifically because the American Psycho thing is one of them, but we'll get to it. So... And I watched John's face just descend. Oh, no, sorry. I, I found uh, an answer to Michael's question, but I didn't want to keep derailing you from getting to the Oh, lies. no, please go ahead. Uh, oh, it's just a, a pull quote for a, from a headline, and it's, When published in 91, Brett Easton Ellis' American Psycho caused outrage for its depictions of violence, especially towards women. That was its point, argues Irvine Welsh. It is a brilliant depiction of the savage society we've created. Uh, I have claimed that uh, unchecked male sexuality is going to be the fall of civilization, but that's me. So Anyway, there's the derailment, and there's the answer for you, Michael. Well, thank you. Indeed. I appreciate that. All right, so here we go. Lies number one through three. No one has talked about putting squirrels, guinea pigs, or capybaras into people's buttholes. <laughs> oh, you you did a faint. You knew we would talk, call out the capybaras. So you, oh. When I first read this to, to Stephen, I got the same thing. It was like, capybara? And I was like, it's a, it's a gambit, because I know that the other two are not even going to be thought of, because the other one's so big. So mm. That's a good one. Thank yeah. you. So those are the first three. I didn't have a ton of lies in here, really, when you get to the end of this, how it's played out. But, so, line number four is that, um, in point of fact, heating a metal cage behind the rat with a blowtorch did not happen in American Psycho. Uh, oh. Even worse, and I'm sorry, Courtney, I, I, I'm legitimately not trying to ruin anybody's day, so... Uh, how it was actually warning, depicted yeah. in the book, in point of fact, he uses acid to expand her vagina. Oh, that's, yeah. it's horrible. Like Gross. it's awful. So initially, like it's the rat tries to go in there and it's too tight. So then he erodes it and it's still. I think she got the point. Yeah. In any event. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> at this point, the rat is starving and requires very little coaching uh, in any event. Uh, but he had a glass cage that it was in, not metal. And he had a coat hanger that he set aside if he needed to prompt it out of the cage is all lifted Real here. Um, where I actually stole this from is the Game of Thrones character, the Tickler, who would then put a bucket with a rat on people's oh. chests and oh. heat up the bucket in order to try to get the rat to tear into the body. So also, I, I fused some things together. If we're talking about good cinema, it is also used as a plot device in Too Fast, Too Furious. Well, I see that the topic has Tokyo drifted on us, but uh, (laughs) they do the same technique. Anyway, whatever. Thank you, John. I appreciate that. I just want to make sure that the people that watch Too Fast, Too Furious are represented and feel at home here. I'm not sure that people who watch Too Fast, Too Furious can do two things at once. So listening to this and thinking (laughs) is probably not going to be something I would count on. Can't confirm I can't speak either, so I mean, I'm just kicking my own ass here. <laughs> kicking my own ass. I'm kicking my ass. Do you mind? So, um, it's a cheap trick, and I knew it when I pulled it, but uh, it worked. So, thankfully, you were all so incredulous at Barbara Walters' name being mentioned that you didn't think about uh, challenging the quote that I threw out. 
So in point of fact, he did not say, I've heard from several sources that you were dead. That's a Shane line. Uh, in point of fact, Gear's actual quote was, if I am a cow and someone says I'm a zebra, that doesn't make me a zebra. Okay. I liked yours better. Not bad, but yeah, Zinger's Go wasn't like the greatest. Jazz. <laughs> tomato, tomato. Indeed. Tomato capybara, as we've said. But uh, And then the other quote was uh, that the cold, hard truth will fall on stony ground, whereas your all-around trashy rumor will flourish like a weed. Uh, he did not say that. That is a quote from Sue Grafton uh, from the book Why is for Yesterday. What Gear's actual <laughs> response was, it's kids stuff. Kids in a schoolyard. Elegant. Mm-hmm. Pretty apt. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that I made a promise here, and then I forgot that I omitted a significant amount of the article to kind of stop beating around the bush, pardon the pun. Uh, I really am Sandersing myself out of a job here, because it's just pun heavy. So the reason that the gerbil was named Tibet is that Richard Gere is actually an advocate for a free Tibet, and uh, had in uh, one of his uh, award speeches, specifically did not thank anyone or go, he started describing how he felt that Tibet was being treated poorly and that we needed to make great strides to try to liberate it and treat it with the gravity that it deserves and he was not very well received. So the joke became that he loved Tibet so much he shoved it up his ass. (laughs) Horrible stuff. But So yeah, that's where the gerbil being named Tibet came from. But So just that I clarify, I said it was in here and it's not but there you go for the astute listener who was paying attention but that is all six of my lies friends two quotes some animals and uh, a misattributed scene from american psycho well i feel educated awesome and uh, i i didn't want to go too hard on michael because uh as john alluded to earlier i trying not to make Courtney just quit this wholesale and not talk to me ever again. So I, okay. I, I pulled my punches pretty significantly here from what this was originally intended to be. But yeah, well, okay. uh, I, I found the gear <laughs> rumor mill to be so intriguing in and of itself that it was worth continuing the yeah, uh, when research. Shane sold it yeah, to like me, when Shane sold it to me, he was still very raw. Uh, from that episode that Michael did. So you were you were discussing it like it was going to be scorched earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very excited. I still really, really enjoyed it. Because, I mean, that was, yeah. that was great. So. Uh, but I, I enjoyed it because it was educational, not because I got but Michael's roasted smiling. or anything. You know, he feel, it looks like he's having a great time. Indeed. He, so. he looks like he's got some duct tape in hand, and he feels like he's going to be pretty safe for the rest of the evening. We're going to start seeing little, like, accessories pop up on the bookshelf behind him. And one of them's going to be the little booties, like little, little habits that you put on the, the gerbils. <laughs> I like that. That would be a cool setup for, like, the next couple of After Darks. I actually do set it up for astute what, you're, viewers. What, you set up the apparatus that puts the gerbil inside you? Yes. <sighs> yeah, because it only takes technically one, maybe two items, so. And an unwinking eye. Oh, oh Sauron. Just, just the fact that the ass is a UFO for gerbils. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to tell it's you. It's a tractor beam. <laughs> I'm being sucked in. <laughs> uh, 
I realize that I, I I miss it when I don't get to see you guys. Feels good to be back. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Glad someone's having fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, thank you all for enduring another somewhat tedious and pun-heavy episode. But uh, we're always thrilled to have you here. And in fact, if you cannot get enough of this, you can see us at the end of May. Because we have got us... Four separate, distinct, and wonderful panels at Phoenix Fan Fusion this year, regardless of whether John believes in Santa Claus or not. We are going to be seeing you all on May 27th and 28th. We've got two panels per day, and it's going to be a lot of fun. You can find in the show notes below, there's a link uh, to get you tickets to Fan Fusion, and I will also start throwing in some scheduling, but I also think we might take a little time and tell all of you folks what we will be discussing and how excited we are for it as a little tease, a sous-son, if you will, at some point just so that you know what you're getting yourselves into. There will be nary a gerbil discussed. No. I assure you. But furthermore, if you're also enjoying the show and you've endured this long, you can, of course, rate, review, and tell us why you hate any discussion of things entering or exiting people's asses, or us behaving like one uh, in general. You can also find us on the tubes of you occasionally. That's a terrible turn of phrase for this evening's topic. I am sorry, but uh, we have a lot of video content that we post over there, which is delightful and a lot of fun. But if you cannot get enough video content, there are short there that Michael has started stealing from Courtney's beloved TikTok feed, and so we are cannibalizing ourselves to great effect right now. It's a lot of fun to pincer you. You, you don't have to choose one or the other. You can stick with your preference. Movement? Indeed. One of my favorites. Uh, so scope us out anywhere, and of course, there are always new episodes winging your way every marvelous Monday morning, so check us out there anywhere that you're favorite podcasts flee from and i think that is officially going to wrap us up this evening like an unwinking eye and so for the disinformed podcast this week i'm shane i'm john i'm michael i'm courtney and zippity zoop we're out of here put it back in go now let me winks <laughs>